Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We love your word. We honor your word. We remember that in your word it says that your words are spirit and life. And so we pray that as we open your word today, that your Holy Spirit would be active to bring life, to strengthen the life that comes through Jesus, and particularly to give us the ears to hear how you would speak to us today through this word. We love you, Lord, and we thank you that you are going to speak. We pray this in your precious name, Jesus. Amen. Well, friends, welcome back. We are working our way through Ezra and Nehemiah in a series on building the kingdom of God. We are actually at the transition point between Ezra and Nehemiah. Today's text is Nehemiah 1, 1 to 2, 10. But this is really interesting. You, you might not know it that Ezra and Nehemiah were actually originally one book called Ezra. And then they were divided at a certain point and they were called Ezra 1 and Ezra 2. And finally they became Ezra and Nehemiah. But it's really all one story, one narrative of God redeeming a remnant of his people from exile, taking them back to the land that he promised them and restoring or rebuilding them in order to further his purposes or the work of his kingdom on earth and ultimately to prepare for the coming of Jesus Christ. And so we're looking at this picture through the lens of building the kingdom and seeing God at work to restore his people, to restore the place of worship, the temple, and now today to restore the wall around the city that protects his people. So turn with me, if you will, to Nehemiah chapter 1 and hear the words of God. The words of Nehemiah, son of Hakaliah, in the month of Kislev, in the twentieth year, while I was in the citadel of Susa, Hanani, one of my brothers, came from Judah with some other men, and I questioned them about the Jewish remnant that survived the exile and also about Jerusalem. They said to me, Those who survived the exile are back in the pro- and are back in the province are in great trouble and disgrace. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down, and its gates have been burned with fire. When I heard these things, I sat down and wept. For some days I mourned and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. Then I said, O Lord, God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps his covenant of love with those who love him and obey his commands. Let your ear be attentive and your eyes open to hear the prayer your servant is praying before you day and night for your servants, the people of Israel. I confess the sins we Israelites, including myself and my father's house, have committed against you. We have acted very wickedly toward you. We have not obeyed the commands decrees and laws you gave your servant Moses. Remember the instruction you gave your servant Moses, saying, If you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the nations. But if you return to me and obey my commands, then even if your exiled people are at the farthest horizon, 
I will gather them from there and bring them to the place I have chosen as a dwelling for my name. They are your servants and your people whom you redeemed by your great strength and your mighty hand. O Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of this your servant and to the prayer of your servants who delight in revering your name. Give your servant success today by granting him favor in the presence of this man. I was cupbearer to the king. In the month of Nisan, in the twentieth year of King Artaxerxes, when wine was brought for him, I took the wine and gave it to the king. I had not been sad in his presence before, so the king asked me, Why does your face look so sad when you are not ill? This can be nothing but sadness of heart. I was very much afraid, but I said to the king, May the king live forever. Why should my face not look sad when the city where my fathers are buried lies in ruins and its gates have been destroyed by fire? The king said to me, What is it you want? Then I prayed to the God of heaven, and I answered the king, If it pleases the king, and if your servant has found favor in his sight, then let him send me to the city in Judah where my fathers are buried so that I can rebuild it. Then the king with the queen sitting beside him asked me, How long will your journey take and when will you get back? It pleased the king to send me, so I set a time. I also said to him, if it pleases the king, may I have letters to the governors of Trans-Euphrates so that they will provide me safe conduct until I arrive in Judah? And may I have a letter to Asaph, the keeper of the king's forest, so he will give me timber to make beams for the gates of the citadel by the temple and for the city wall and for the residence I will occupy? And because the gracious hand of my God was upon me, the king granted my requests. So I went to the governors of Trans-Euphrates and gave them the king's letters. The king had also sent army officers and cavalry with me. When Sanballat the Horonite and Toba the Ammonite official heard about this, they were very much disturbed that someone had come to promote the welfare of the Israelites. The Word of God. Friends, this week, Anne and I watched a movie called Lifted, which in part tells the story of a young mother who's been clean from drugs for about a year when her husband, who's in the U.S. Marine Reserves, receives a letter calling him to active duty in Afghanistan. And uh, the movie shows that when he shares this news with her, it just absolutely shatters her because she'd already felt completely vulnerable uh, staying clean with his incredible support and encouragement and presence. And now he's just plucked away from her, and she just feels downright vulnerable, like her protection has just been removed. And she breaks. She just shatters. Now, I suspect that most of us this morning um, don't struggle with that level of draw toward drugs or alcohol, but that we do or can relate to 
what she experienced in terms of a season of heightened feelings of vulnerability. You know, feeling vulnerable is just feeling exposed or unprotected or susceptible to the attacks of the enemy. And there are many things that happen to us that leave us feeling vulnerable. So it might be relationship pain that leaves us feeling raw. Could be sickness or the death of a loved one. Could be a series of discouraging setbacks or failures that we experience. It could be facing a future with deep uncertainty. It could be the painful choices of someone we love, perhaps a child. could be a dream that's shattered or a job that's lost. could be many things, many, many things that can leave us feeling vulnerable, again, exposed or unprotected or just more susceptible to the attacks of the enemy. And that, that, that vulnerability is exactly where we find the returned exiles this morning. Nehemiah is himself not in Jerusalem. I don't know if you picked up in that. He's in the citadel in Susa, which means he's still in exile. He is in the Persian capital. He's serving the king there. And his brother, Hanani, comes back from Judah along with some other friends. And and Nehemiah asks him, share the news with me. How are they doing? And he gets this response where they tell him, it's horrible. They're they're in great trouble. They're in, They're just disgraced. The walls of Jerusalem are broken down, the gates have been burned with fire. Well, this is uh, many, many years after the exiles have returned, somewhere between 70 and 80 years they've been back, so several generations, and all that time we now find out they've just continued to live without walls or gates on the city. Now, what is a city without gates or walls? I mean, it's defenseless. Like the, the walls are meant to keep you inside and protected and to keep certain people and forces out and the gates are meant to be these these portals through which we determine who or what comes in so a city without walls or gates is just uh, defenseless and it's easily entered and overrun and god doesn't mean for his people to be like this he wants his he wants this city to be strong he wants his presence in it he wants his people protected from the enemies. He wants them at this point not mingling, but pure and holy and strong like they were back in David's day. This is God's vision for them. And, you know, as, as, as we think about this image, even though we, the people of God, are not limited to a city anymore, the kingdom of God is all across the earth, this This image of a defenseless city is incredibly important for us because of what Isaiah, the prophet, prophesies in chapter 60, verse 18. In that spot, Isaiah is actually prophesying about the new covenant people of God, that's us, after Jesus delivers them from the exile of sin, and he is using the image of a city called Zion which the New Testament references many times to talk about the people of God. And this is what Isaiah says about Zion. He says, Your walls will be called salvation, and your gates praise. In other words, the thing that's going to come around the people of God that is going to keep them protected and defended and safe and strong is salvation, or it's the gospel. And 
the thing which is going to act as a gate which determines what comes in and impacts the people of God or not, and what comes out is praise. Your walls will be salvation. Your walls will be the gospel, and your gates will be praise. So, before I go on to say, well, what does it mean if the walls are broken down and the gates are broken down? Let's just really quickly remind ourselves of the gospel. The gospel is this. That God is restoring all things. He is restoring all creation. And he's doing it through the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ, through whom he's defeated Satan. He has atoned for our sins and he has ushered in a new creation. And he's doing it one person at a time, one heart and life at a time as each person comes to Jesus, in faith, calls out to God, receives Jesus Christ, that person receives the forgiveness of sins, they receive new life, they receive the gift of the Holy Spirit dwelling within them, and they are a dearly loved children of God, child of God, who cannot be separated from Him. And they are given this most incredible inheritance through Jesus Christ, eternal life, new purpose in the kingdom of God, gifts, healing. The Lord is so good and he calls each one as he gifts them salvation to respond to that salvation with a life of worship, a life of praise to God. Now, we're not talking about just worship on Sunday morning for an hour and a half. We're talking about what Paul says to the Romans when he says, your your life is to be uh, an offering of worship to God. Your whole life in Romans 12. And, and so, life is to be lived in communion with God. And like Paul says to the Colossians, whatever you do, whatever you do, whether in word or in deed, do it as a rep, all in the name of Jesus Christ. You belong to him. You were bought by him. Your life is his. It's hidden with him. In him, you died to the world. You died to sin. And now you live to God. And so your life is a song. It's a song of worship to the Lord. And that includes worshiping him, certainly. It includes singing to him. It includes loving him and giving him affection. But it's not limited to that. It it, it includes all of our response to God in terms of our our love for and our care for the poor, our love for our brothers and sisters in Christ, our doing justice and mercy. And so, this is what is to be around a Christian, the gospel, the good news of what God has done, what he's gifted us with, how it cannot be taken away and we cannot be separated from him, and therefore are so strengthened by the love of God and and then the, the gate that determines what comes in and out of us is worship. It's praise to the Lord. Your walls shall be salvation or the gospel. Your gates shall be praise. And so what happens when a believer is not established in the gospel and they're not established in a life of worship and of praise? It's the same thing that happens to a defenseless city. We're just vulnerable all the time. 
We get blown here and there. We get bothered by fear and anxiety. We we undergo the accusations of the devil and we're far more susceptible to them. The temptations of sin come and we, forgetting who we are and what we're made for, actually are drawn toward it. We become, when we're not established in the gospel, in the word of God and in a life of worship, we become like that city that's just easily overrun. There's just not boundaries around us that protect our hearts and our minds, our souls and our spirits. There are openings for us to be tormented, for us to be drawn towards sin, for us to forget who we are. This is not what God has for us. This is not what God wants for any one of his children, nor for the church in general. The Lord wants his church or his bride to be strong, holy, pure in him. And so what's God's remedy when the walls are broken and the gates are burned? God's remedy is this. He looks for someone to repair the walls and the burned gates. God raises up someone to share his heart, to walk with him in humility and in courage and in the fear of the Lord. And God works through that person to repair the walls and the gates. This is the most beautiful, beautiful picture here that we see back in the text now. Nehemiah receives this news from his brother and from the others that have returned. And it, and it says, when I heard these things, I sat down and I wept. Now, Nehemiah is not in Judah. He hasn't grown up there. He's got a good job. He's set. He's secure. He works for the king. He's got his whole life just set out fine in front of him. But he allows himself to hear about the pain of the exiles, the returned exiles, hundreds and hundreds of miles away. And he takes that pain in. And he shares God's heart. And he weeps. He weeps for them. And it's not just a a flash in the pan, you know, one moment weeping and then he's done. But he allows this this burden to grow within him. And you can see that he actually participates in it. He says, for some days I mourned and fasted. So there's this sense in which Nehemiah's giving himself over to the grief of the Lord. He's allowing that grief to grow within him. And then the outflow or the, the result of allowing that to grow within him is this beautiful prayer in which he, again, like Ezra, humbly identifies with the sins of the people. In all likelihood, these are not Nehemiah's sins. But he identifies with the people. He confesses the sin, and as he does so, you can hear that he knows the word of God. He knows what the word says. And he prays it back to God. He says, the Lord, Lord, you said this already to Moses, that if we did this, this is what you would do. 
You'd scatter us and you've done it. But you said that if we return to you, no matter where we were, you would draw us back. And he points to that character of the Lord. He says, Lord, you're so merciful. Now hear my prayer. Hear my prayer. Hear our prayer. Hear the prayer of those who revere your name, who delight in revering your name. And he boldly asks God for mercy. And then he waits upon the Lord. If you Google the Jewish calendar of the year, you'll find out that the month of Nisan is about three or four months after he got this news in the month of Kislev. So he waits three or four months. And then the text tells us that when wine was brought to the king, he took the wine and he allowed himself to be sad in the king's presence. Now, friends, this is something that was very intentional on his part. He's highly trained. He knows how to behave around the king of an empire. He knows how to do his duty, and it's to make the king happy, and he's not to show any unhappiness. So he here, uh, sensing the prompting of the Lord, after praying and meditating, determines that now's the time, and he very intentionally and riskily allows himself to express his sadness in the presence of the king. And that alone is a great risk. He could have been banished. He could have been fired. He could have been removed. But the king responds by asking him about his sadness. And I love this. Nehemiah's honesty says, I was very much afraid. But then he does not let his fear dictate his future action. He names his fear, but then he does not operate out of it. He has a greater fear or reverence for the Lord. And so he proceeds and he says to the king, Why should my face not look sad when the city where my fathers are buried lies in ruins and its gates have been destroyed by fire? And the king asks him, What is it you want? And then Nehemiah shoots up this prayer to the Lord. Again, he says, I prayed to the God of heaven, and then I asked. And he boldly asks, if it pleases you, if it pleases the king, if I found favor, let me be sent to the city in Judah where my fathers are buried so that I can rebuild it. Now, friends, this is astounding. What does a cup bearer in to the king in Persia or modern day Iran, that's where he is, know about rebuilding a city in Israel. Nothing. In all likelihood, he knows next to nothing about rebuilding walls and gates. But he's the one who's going. He's the one who's asking. And he's the one who's going to get permission. Why? Because he's the one who felt the burden of the Lord, who allowed the Lord's grief to grow within his heart, who prayed and sought the Lord and asked for mercy. And now the Lord is working through him to ask the question. And once again, we see this amazing, amazing miracle that God is using a pagan king to finance his work. The Lord moves on the heart of Artaxerxes and Artaxerxes gives him materials. He says, yes, And he gives them permission. 
He gives him safe passage. He gives him materials. And then, without Nehemiah asking, he even throws in the bonus protection of officers and cavalry. This is incredible. What's really beautiful about all this is that when Nehemiah is describing what happens, he doesn't say, and then I boldly did this, and then I did that, and because this, it all happened, he says, because the gracious hand of my God was upon me. The gracious hand of God. Friends, when God wants to repair broken walls, he raises up somebody who will share his heart, who will work with him with humility, with courage, and the fear of the Lord. And then he just simply puts his gracious hand upon them. This is exactly what we see God doing in Jesus Christ. When God wanted to repair the world, when he, when he loved the world and he did not want to destroy it, but he wanted to repair hearts and repair lives and bring healing, he raised up his own son. He put his spirit on him. His gracious hand was upon him. Think about the way that uh, he's described in Acts 10, 36 and 38, where Luke writes, You know the message God sent the people of Israel, telling the good news of peace through Jesus Christ, who is Lord of all. You know how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power. How he went around doing good and healing all who were under the power of the devil because God was with him. In other words, God's gracious hand was upon him to bring liberty, to bring freedom, to bring healing, to restore human hearts and lives. And friends, this is God's desire for each of us. That his spirit is not only within, but upon us. His gracious hand is upon us that we would repair the broken walls. We'd be repairers of broken walls and uh, we would repair the gates of praise. In fact, you can see God's gracious hand already upon us to doing this. When I reflect on our community, I think about the way Sharon and Tony are sharing the gospel through Kids Life Bible Club, the way Derek and Heather are shaping students and young people through the Bridge Street uh, mission. I think about Caroline on the streets and in the aisles of Myers and Walmart, strengthening people with the gospel. I think about Cody and Jess on the campus. I think about Nate and Kelly in classrooms. I think about Nick Van Vanderplug in Africa preaching the gospel. So friends, this is what the Lord is doing, but this is what the Lord wants to do all the more through us. He is calling us, as he calls us to build his kingdom, he's calling us to have deeper roots in the gospel that every one of us, not some, not half, but every one of us would be deeply rooted in the gospel, filled with worship, and active in living out that gospel, sharing the gospel, strengthening or repairing the walls and the gates of other lives around us. Because, friends, 
the days are getting darker right now. The, the Lord longs to save. He loves. But He will not bless the move toward lawlessness that's taking place in our country. You know, we can no more defy God's laws and expect to get away with it than we could defy the laws of gravity and expect not to fall and hurt ourselves. All around us, we've got people in rebellion against the Lord. We've got people asking for lawlessness and they need to be called to the good news, yes, but that good news is is predicated on bad news. And so, they need to be called to repentance. They need to be called to turn away from a a sinful, self-led life. And they need to be called to faith in Jesus Christ, who is Lord. And they need to to be called to the obedience of faith. And so, this gospel proclamation will itself take more faith and more courage and more fear of the Lord alone so that we will be effective gospel witnesses, so that we will not be afraid to speak the truth that Jesus Christ is Lord, that he demands allegiance. I think about Paul's letter to the Thessalonians where he writes to them, When the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven in blazing fire with his powerful angels, He will punish those who do not know God and who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. So this good news, it's incredibly good, but it calls for obedience. And friends, we've got a world that's confused and parts of the church that are confused and they need to be called back to the word of God, to obedience to the word of God, to love for the word of God, to humility and reverence before the Word of God. And so if we're going to be the ones that are going to call for that, then we are going to, some of us are going to need our own walls and gates to be strengthened first so the enemy can't cause us distress and disgrace. Some of us will need that strengthening first, but all of us need stronger foundations in the Gospel. I think about Paul's letter to the Corinthians where he talks to them in chapter 3, 1 Corinthians 3, about building materials. And he says to them, you know, some people are building with gold and silver and precious metals, but other people are building with hay and wood and straw. And then he says to them, you know, the day of the Lord, it's going to reveal what we built with. When the fire comes, when the refining fire of judgment comes, it will be revealed what we built with. What materials, the walls of our lives, our hearts, were built upon. And so I want to close this message with these questions. Is your life's foundation built on the gospel of God's grace and his kingdom? Are you growing as a conduit of the gospel? Are you personally growing as a disciple maker? When people look at you, 
Do they see a life of worship to the Lord God? Do they see delight in revering His name? And then this. Let's all start. Let's all be encouraged to start or to keep going where Nehemiah starts. And that is with prayer. Just as Nehemiah allowed the Lord to fill his heart with a burden. So let's ask and allow God to fill us with his heart. Ask the Lord to use us in greater measure to meet the needs of those around us who need their walls and their gates strengthened. And then like Nehemiah, ask him for what you need and step out in faith. And the Lord will give abundantly more than you ask and imagine. And the Lord will have his gracious hand upon you. And the Lord will exalt himself through you. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, we cannot stand up to our enemies on our own. We cannot stand up to the pressure that comes against us, the pressure not to speak the truth. We cannot stand up to the forces of this world on our own, but clothed in you, strengthened in you, we can. And so, Lord God, we pray that you would put onto us, each and your whole church afresh, the armor that you give us, that helmet of salvation, that breastplate that Paul describes of your righteousness that you gift to us, that belt of truth that protects our inner being, shoes fitted with the readiness of the gospel of peace, that shield of faith in you which extinguishes the fiery darts of the enemy and the sword of the Spirit which is the Word of God so that we can pray on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. And we pray, Lord, that you will help us to be a church that is strong in you, strong in your Word so that we can remain alert, watchful, prayerful and have the fullness of joy that comes from participating with you to repair not just broken walls, but broken hearts and broken lives. So Jesus, strengthen us, strengthen us in the gospel, and use us as those that would strengthen others. We pray this in your name, Lord. Amen.